Opportunities you can't afford to miss. That's next here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your Opportunities have been described like sunrises. If you wait too long, you'll miss them. No doubt you've heard the saying, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and it implies there are some opportunities you can't afford to miss. We'll hear about them today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're about to conclude the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. And today we'll consider Paul's last and urgent appeal to Timothy not to miss his opportunity. The stakes are very high and time is of the essence. And before getting to that urgent appeal, Pastor Ed begins in chapter 4, verse 14, with a list of names and one in particular to be on the lookout for. Now he goes down a list of people. 14, Alexander. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. It's always good to see when Paul is being human. <laughs> I think I've prayed that a couple times in my life. Alexander is mentioned in Acts, at least we believe it's the same Alexander as Acts 19 and 1 Timothy 1.20. He did him evil, but Paul's really concerned mostly about Timothy, who this letter's coming to, verse 15. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So Paul is warning Timothy that Alexander, who was from this city that Timothy is in, Ephesus, had stood against Paul, maybe come to Rome, brought charges against him, and is still at Ephesus. Now, verse 16, at my first defense, Paul reviews his trial. No one stood with me, which suggests that Alexander was against him there, but no Christian showed up. Paul was alone. The guy that had brought the gospel across all of the known Roman Empire Nobody was there to support him. His friends betrayed him. Now, Paul isn't bitter about that. In fact, he says, may it not be charged against them. But we begin to see this man who is toughing it out at the end of his life, and Satan is still throwing mud at the wall to try and see what will stick. When he appeared, when Paul appeared in the Basilica Paulius in the Roman Senate, downtown Rome. By the way, Basilica was the court of justice. It wasn't a, a church building. And Paul had to go there and stand before Nero, the worst of the worst of the Roman Empire, the worst Caesar that there was, and senators on one side, lawyers on the other, public behind him and give his defense. Nobody showed up for him, only people against him. Have you had people do that to you? Paul's going to write some more about that. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul is saying he didn't miss an opportunity. That's what I love about the Apostle Paul. He's standing before old Nero, and he lays a witness on him. <laughs> just like he did with King Festus and Herod Agrippa down at Caesarea by the sea. 
And you can bet Paul gave him both barrels and took him to an altar call because that's what he did with Festus. Remember, Agrippa said, Paul, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. What was Paul's response? I would that you would become a Christian, old king. That's why I'm here. I'm preaching the gospel to you. You need as much. You're a sinner like everybody else. Hmm. So Paul does that, and then God delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. Some try and make this metaphor. I don't believe it is. That's what Nero was famous for, feeding Christians to wild beasts. Paul says, God delivered me. Why? We're reading the letter. That's why. So you and I could learn from Paul's experience and be encouraged when we have roaring lions at our house <laughs> or at work or at school or in the neighborhood or at church or what? Lions at church? Oh, yeah. Dragons, too. Verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer. Paul breaks into praise. God has helped me, and he'll help you. That's what he's saying, and God gets all the glory for everything that happened. He gets the honor for it. He begins back again to this list of people. Paul knew a lot of people. He had invested a lot of time in a lot of different individuals' lives. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila. This is Priscilla and Aquila, and she's mentioned first because she was the brains of the family. Aquila married above himself. And some of us understand that very well. And the household of Anisiphorus, the way it's written, it may be Anisiphorus that's in uh, 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1. He may have died because of the wording of this. The household of maybe his wife and children. Erastus, verse 20, stayed in Corinth, but Tromepheus I have left in Miletus sick. This is an interesting one. When we were in Corinth a few weeks ago, we got to see the pavement stone with this man's name chiseled in it. It turns out that Erastus is a very unusual Greek name and that there is an Erastus, he's mentioned also in Romans 16:23. there's Erastus that has this pavement stone in Corinth that they dug up and put on display and it says, Erastus, the city treasurer, has given this pavement stone to the city as a gift. So, if you're one of those that are still doubting whether the scripture is reliable, come with us. We'll walk over and you can put your finger in the word, Erastus, and maybe it will encourage you that you'll be able to trust the rest of the book too. Tromepheus is in Miletus, very close to Ephesus, just down the coast. But what's interesting to me about this is this friend of Paul's who had traveled with Paul in Acts 20 isn't healed. What? We get the impression sometimes when we read quickly through, say, the book of Acts, that the apostles are walking around just healing people as they go. You know, John, Peter, the guy at the gate. Paul walks by in his shadow. Somebody picks up his sweat cloth, and, and they get healed. This Paul said, I couldn't heal him. I left him there sick. You see, the gift of healing is from God to the person that gets healed, not the person that prays. We've got it all backwards because of a lot of crazy theology over the last 50 to 100 years in the Pentecostal church. And that's an error that the person controls the healing. They do not. 
Paul the apostle couldn't heal him and had to leave him. So when you hear otherwise, or you worse, start feeling guilty because I don't have enough faith. He said, I didn't have enough faith, and that's why I'm not being healed. Your baloney meter should go off. <laughs> what about Prometheus? All right. 21. All that to say this. Do your utmost to come before winter. Ebulius greets you as well as Prudent, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The first of the names, Eubulius, isn't mentioned anywhere else, so we really can't say very much, but he's no doubt one of the believers in Rome that maybe didn't show up for Paul's trial on his behalf. Prudence, an early church historian, tells us was a Roman senator that got saved. Got saved through his wife. This is Claudia. That's the wife of Prudence. And she was the daughter of the king of Britain at the time. And so she married uh, and then became a believer and then brought her husband to the Lord. Linus, we know about him, and Charlie Brown, and the rest of the people. So, no. so when we were in uh, the catacombs, one of the first bishops of Rome, name was Linus. And one early church historian says that this is the same one years later. Now come before winter. What's going on here? Paul tells Timothy that he wants him to bring his coat, and he wants him to bring all these important papers, and come especially quickly, come before winter. Now, Paul knew, and, and the simple explanation, the, the one that's obvious, is that the Mediterranean goes crazy in the winter. From about September until really early April, you can't be on the Mediterranean ship or you will end up in a shipwreck. It's a weird weather pattern. We have winds coming up from the south, the Sorocos that come across the Sudan, and then from the north, off the steppes of Russia, and then now the face of Croatia's 3,000-foot face compresses all that air, and it comes into a vortex, broad area brought down to a nozzle, and it blows hurricane-force winds across the Mediterranean. And the Mediterranean sometimes has surf that's huge, okay? But you can't surf it because the waves are one right after another. You can't go on it. So simply, Paul is saying, come before winter, because once winter falls, Mediterranean, the storms will make it impassable. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. And we're in 2 Timothy 4. Timothy needs to get moving or miss his opportunity. To explain from verse 21, once again, here's Pastor Ed. There's a brief window. Now, here's where it begins to speak to Timothy about this legacy idea. It says, come before winter because you need to come now. If you don't come now, you'll miss the opportunity. It's a window that's going to pass, Timothy. If you come immediately before winter, you'll be able to see me, I'll be able to see you, and I'll be able to pass on some things to you. Now, here's the spiritual level. There's a couple of them, but come before winter. Paul says, and we could add, before winter or never. And I'm purposely putting some finality in that. There are some things that will never be done unless they're done now. That's what Paul is saying. The winter will come and the opportunity will pass in Timothy's life and in your life and in mine. It's just the reality of life. 
examples. Twice, Jesus came to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane after he'd been praying, and he said the first time, couldn't you pray with me a little while? And he went back and prayed, and he came back again. He said, sleep well. What was he saying? There was an opportunity for his disciples to pray with the creator of the universe physically on earth, and they just missed it. It was the last chance they'd had. He said, well, they got to pray with him plenty of other times. Okay, but I'm trying to give you this scriptural view of times that come, and if we don't react, we miss them. Genesis 6 really bothers me. Verse 3, God speaking, my spirit shall not always strive with men. Now, some read that to say, well, God loses interest and moves on. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. When the Holy Spirit speaks about salvation, about coming to Christ, he never says tomorrow. He always says today. Why? You can't find in Scripture where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tomorrow. It never says, come, repent, tomorrow. It always says today. Why is it always today? Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. While it is still called the day, surrender. The reason for the urgency is twofold. Number one, because we don't know whether we'll be here tomorrow. It's that simple. He's not trying to scare us. He's just saying you can't control it. I can't control it. That's what David said to Jonathan in the Old Testament. He said, as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. It's true for him, true for me, true for you, true for Jonathan. In fact, Jonathan died before David did. But his point was, we're here for a moment and we're gone. But the second, more important reason why there's an urgency to this message, come before winter, is that the human heart changes. That when the Holy Spirit comes and ignites a fire in someone and convicts them of sin, that is the time to respond. You don't say, well, maybe tomorrow. I'll come back. That's what Agrippa said. You almost persuaded me. We'll talk later about these things. He never responded again. He never saw the opportunity. I'm pleading with someone here. I don't know who you are. But you're here and you have not let God have control. He has spoken to you before. It's coming around again and you don't know whether your heart will be open to it in the future. It's a reality of life. In eternity, Agrippa's saying, I wish I had. If only I had. I should have responded. You had the apostle Paul preaching to you, for heaven's sakes, Agrippa. There's a poem that I, honestly, I don't like, but I'm going to read to you so you can not like it too written by Joseph Alexander in 1837 that says the same thing a slightly different way. There is a time, he wrote, there is a time I know not when, a place I know not where, that marks the destiny of a man to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and God's wrath. You see, these seasons come in our life. And everybody loves the spring. Plants are blooming, the things are going. And summer is good, gets a little warm, but there's the fruits ripening. And then fall when all the harvest is. But there's a winter. And 
Too many people wait until winter to deal with God. God wants to use your life from today. Today is the day of salvation. Now, not just salvation, but also these moments where God is here, available, speaking to you, and you're actually listening, okay? And, and we're all guilty, myself too. And I'll be spaced out thinking about something else, and suddenly the Holy Spirit takes a phrase I'm, of someone I'm listening to or reading and, and makes it come out bold and jump into my heart. That's happening to some of you right now. People who are saved, you're walking with the Lord, you've known him perhaps a while. But there's some things in your life, there's a season of your life that's right now here this morning, at this moment, where God is speaking to you about a habit, maybe it's outright sin, that he wants to remove from your life. And you say, well, you know, he's talked to me about that before. It's so awkward. Do it now. That's what Paul says before winter. I had a young man come to me not long ago who is a very successful businessman, works for a large corporation. He travels a lot, gone a lot. But he, earlier in his life, he got hooked on alcohol very young, grade school. Robbing his dad's liquor cabinet. Dad didn't know it, didn't care. And uh, by the time he was in college, he was a full-on alcoholic. Got saved, went through our new wine group on Thursday night, and, uh, and God released him from alcohol for a while. But he said he'd, in the wrong situations, he'd get tempted. So he's called uh, to speak at a very large gathering in the uh, East Coast, and he's, he's at a very nice hotel, and uh, he has a nice dinner, and he goes back to his room. He said, all of a sudden, Satan hit him with both barrels. He wants a drink, and that was his drug of choice, and he's struggling with it. And he, he said, literally, reached for the phone to ask room service to bring him a bottle. And as he reached for the phone, he said, a voice came to him and said, if you do this, it will master you for the rest of your life. But if you resist it, I will take it out of your life for the rest of your life. You decide. He said, he let go of the phone. He said, God, forgive me, release me. He said, he's not had a temptation since that. That was the season that the Holy Spirit had given him when his heart was ready to let it go completely and God's power was evident in the room in a way he couldn't deny and wasn't distracted by all the things of life. That's what Paul is talking about. What are you struggling with? Paul's struggling with friends that left him, betrayed him, abandoned him. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe it's worse than a friend. Maybe it was a spouse that abandoned you. God is saying, today is the day of salvation. Don't let it pass. This is when he wants to work. He said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock today. If you'll open the door, I'll come in to you, and I'll change your heart. We'll sit together. Last verse. Come back to that just a second. 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Your spirit, grace, be with you. Amen. Grace. Grace. There's that word again. The unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. You see, God is giving it away today to anyone who will receive it. Abounding grace. But you got to do it now. Open yourself up and say, God, I need the grace Paul is talking about. 
Paul started this letter with grace, and he ends it with grace. Peter says, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace. It's the environment, it's the soil in which we as spiritual beings grow. People don't grow in law. I'll let it hang a minute <laughs> in the air. People don't grow in law. Scripture says people grow in grace. God does the work. God does the giving to us to change. All we must do, receive it now, today. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, ends with grace be. Paul begins with grace and he ends with grace. We have an ancient letter, a Greek letter, from about 125 A.D., written by a Greek who is not a Christian, but he's considering it. And the letter's written to a friend to explain to the friend, his name is Aristides, A-R-I-S-T-E-I-D-E-S. I spell that because some of you are, in fact, Googling it right now, and that's okay. That's good. I want you to. So he's writing to this friend, and he's trying to explain the reasons why this new religion called Christianity is interesting to him, why he's attracted to it. Here's one sentence from the letter. If any righteous man, he doesn't get it quite right, but you get the idea. If any righteous man among the Christians passes from the world who has received the righteousness of Christ is what I meant. If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. And they escort his body with songs and thanksgivings as if he were setting out from one place to another place nearby. Because that's what happens when you die. And he was noticing in the first century, these Christians aren't sad about this death because they know where that person is going. And they're excited about it. Okay, so, come before winter. Our hearts can be changed. God can do it. But we have to respond. There's a time, a favorable season. There's a time when we're moldable, when we're bendable, and a time when we're not. I was thinking about this this week with some buddies. We were working on stainless steel, hard metal, and it has a lot of nickel in it, and it's really hard to bend. So you have to heat it up. And we were heating it, and uh, you had to heat it till it gets cherry red hot. And then you can bend it but you can only bend it for a few moments. The minute you take the heat off, it begins to cool down and it becomes fixed again in whatever shape it's in. So we were going back and forth and forth. And, and as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, that's just like my heart, Lord, isn't it? That you heated up the fire of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit makes my heart pliable and yours and then God gives us an opportunity to pull the trigger. I have to pull it. You have to pull it. You have to say, this thing, Lord, I lay it down before you. I put it at the foot of the cross. You take my eternity. You mold me to fit your plan. I surrender. God's waiting to do that for you right now. Well, we've made it through 2 Timothy, and Titus is up next. We'll begin this study with you next time on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. 
That's thepackinghouse.org. Or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace as you study along with us. And if that's happening in your life, please do write us. It would mean a lot to hear if these daily studies have an impact on your life. And if you have a question related to our study or a prayer request, by all means, send those our way. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Once again, we'll begin Titus tomorrow on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Side hall now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love